This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of Basically. I am your host, Stephanie Preisner, and with me in studio today to answer questions about all things financial is Hannah from Rockwell Financial. Thank you for coming to the studio. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honour. One of the things that really strikes me is the difference in finances like I've been watching things unfold with like let's say RTE or the difference in pay between genders Mm. which I thought we were past to be honest and even in roles where the gender pay gap is small and women are paid the same as men it seems like when we come to retirement it's not the same and it's not equitable so I'd really like to talk about that today. Yeah absolutely. Do you find that as a financial planner that you have more male clients than female? I would say probably, and it's more so because a lot of the male clients, they've been very career focused, while not for it to sound kind of generalised, but a lot of the time the women end up staying at home to look after the kids or like that they work part time. So the men tend to have the larger salaries. So they tend to focus a lot of the financial planning around, around himself which it's no, it's normally the woman behind the man kind of forcing him to talk to us, basically. But yes, okay. from that, I do find that the majority of our clients would be would be men, but it is changing. I can see a shift in the last couple of a couple of months, particularly with a lot of SME owners, a lot of females coming to, um, you know, have their own limited companies and things like that. So really kind of taking control again. So the level of financial planning coverage amongst women is slightly lower, but growing. Exactly. Yeah, there's some positive changes we can see. And like that, similar to what you mentioned there, there has always been this, I suppose, grey area in relation to the pay gap with men and women. And like I said, you would think we would be past it. But what I do find is a lot of the clients that I'm speaking to, They've worked similar years to their partners. They've worked similar jobs to their partners, similar salaries. But they have the females haven't had the capacity to save to the extent that the men have in relation to pensions. Because, like I mentioned, if they decide to take some maternity leave, there's no pension contributions being made for you then. Mm-hmm. If you decide to take the extended mat leave, there's no pay, there's no pension contributions for you. If you decide to return to work not full-time on a two-day week or a job share contract, limited pension contributions for you because the rules around pensions, you can only put in a certain percentage of your salary based on your age bracket. Okay. So all of these little rules and regulations caught out the kind of modern-day woman who is trying to get back into work after taking some time off to to be a mother and to deal with the children um, whereas for the men it was just consistent so every every week they see in their deductions the pay, the pension contribution going in you know topping up topping up accumulating and then when you look at say a man in his 50s now he's going to be comfortable enough to retire from the age of 60 whereas you know to be I suppose general poor Mary who was took three sets of mat leave off to, mm-hmm. to look after the kids she's nearly starting from scratch you know, she's the one that has to make larger contributions now as she's getting older when she should be able to kind of relax a little bit and actually enjoy her money because now the kids have grown up and things like that. But we find that when it comes to the pension contributions, men, they kind of just consistently put in the same level throughout and they'll end up having a larger pot than, say, the women who on again, off again, on again, off That's again. That's interesting because I think we all think about, like, the cost of maternity leave, but you don't, like, you wouldn't think about the pension contributions, which are kind of this hidden cost to it. Is that the same in the public and the private sector? No, so it's it's quite significantly different. So in terms of the public sector, the minute you join service, you're automatically enrolled in what's called a superannuation scheme. And that's being involved in a pension. It's being involved in some sick pay. There's some maternity leave there for you. And God forbid, if you pass away, there's a death and service benefit paid to your partner. Mm-hmm. So there's all these benefits included. 
whether they're good enough for your circumstances is another question, but there's still something there. Whereas a lot of the private sector employees, they depending on their contract and depending on the company, they might have absolutely nothing. They might have to wait a year until they're involved in the pension plan. And even at that, it might be a minimal contribution from the employer. So it's very much the, the weights on your shoulders in order to supplement your pension. Um, even at that then as well, the income protection that's coming out of your own bank account, the, the company may not pay that for you, which means you know, there's a bit of a, a shortfall there, God forbid, if you couldn't work, mm-hmm. there's no income coming in on your behalf other than what social welfare are willing to give you. Yes, okay. And like that, if you're a mother, if you've got two, three kids, 200 euro a week from social welfare is not going to really do much for you. Mm-hmm. You'll be heavily relying on then the second income if it's there. If you're a single mother, again, it's another question. So know? is is that why we see people still looking for these public sector jobs. Absolutely. Like it's, it's funny that a lot of people kind of think as soon as they have a public sector job, they're like, I am sorted. Do you know, and because you do, you do get a fantastic level of benefits. Now, as I mentioned earlier, it might not be sufficient, but it's a hell of a lot better than, you Nothing. know, what private some private companies don't offer. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why a lot of time clients do come to ourselves because they they have the job, the job's going to pay them the income and now they need advice on how to manage that, inc- you know, their income. How can I make this money work for me? I want to make sure that if I can't work, I have something coming in. If I want to retire at the age of 50 and move off to Spain, as we all would love to, I want to be able to do so. So it's kind of those motivated people that know they can't rely on, on like that a superannuation scheme, so they have to heavily rely on themselves. Yeah, like which is the case for me. <laughs> um, so I guess then, what are the impacts of a divorce or a separation? In terms of finance, if you've been making those plans, you know, you've been saving up your either public or private sector pension, you have your little plan to retire at 50 to Spain or whatever. Mm -hmm. By getting a divorce or separation, is that just 50% gone? Not necessarily. It's a, like you said there, it's a massive shake to your plan. And even like the first question there, men's pensions were heavily prioritised in most households. So like that, it was, although it was in his name, it was always seen as our retirement pot. Mm -hmm. You know, that's our plan. So if something does happen and suddenly now you've got a plan for yourself, there are some protocols that have to be honoured. So there's what's, not to get too technical, but there's a pension adjustment order, a POA. PAO, I should say, Um, and that will essentially outline what you're entitled to of your partner's pension, if that's the case. Like that, they might have 30 years. What's that based on? Like, is it based on like how much you've sacrificed, how much you would have earned had you not stayed at home? Similar, like the terms will be specified once you speak to like a family lawyer, obviously, because it'll be case by case. You know, it's not the same for each Each uh, spouse, unfortunately. But what we tend to see like that is if, if the, the wife ended up having to stop working to look after the kids and then therefore there was only one salary coming in which was himself then they'll be they should be entitled to a portion of his pension for the time that they were together because like that she wasn't able to work due to that was the plan that they had yes. so she'll be entitled to a portion of his pension that he accrued while they were married and then from then on then she'll have a portion of that that can be managed separately and he'll kind of manage his portion onwards so they'll be considered separate once the divorce is kind of finalised basically okay. but even at that like another another fact I suppose that's funny in relation to that was the marriage bar I don't know if you know much about that, but essentially that was only 50 years ago. Only up until 1972, women weren't allowed to work once they got married. Right. Not allowed to work. You know, they were they weren't even allowed to apply for jobs. Now you have now you have a husband. Your job is to stay at home. Yeah, you have to resign now. You're done. Even Uh, in the private sector. Yeah, everywhere. Wow. So it was only up till 1972 that that actually went out the window. So there's people alive and well today that were a part of that. That's bananas. I know. But like, how do people get around that? Like, my grandmother owned her own pharmacy. She was a pharmacist. Yeah. She didn't stop when she got married. She just kept going. Yeah. Was it within, was it like part of a family business? No, it was her own business. 
Unless maybe they said that it was his business or something. <laughs> I don't know. But it's mad, isn't it, to think? Absolutely, yeah. Like, you, you straight away had to resign and you weren't allowed to apply for, for a new job. But what happens in that? I know divorce was also illegal at that time, so you couldn't. But, like, you have no... You have no freedom then if you yeah. want to separate from that marriage. Yeah, and that's why I don't know. I feel like it's it's like an old wives' tale, but you know, like the runaway pot or the runaway yes. cash. I feel like your mom would have mentioned it or something. If you asked your granny about that now, she'd probably laugh about it. But essentially, normally in that scenario, we would find that a lot of women had some sort of money accumulated elsewhere that himself didn't know about, so and it was like that. Yeah, it was just to protect themselves, which that's is crazy so to think, isn't it? Yeah. So in terms of children, I'm just learning about how expensive they are. Mm-hmm. Um, Childcare, it's just actually everything. It's all craziness. Are there any ways of preparing for like the future costs of childcare? Like childcare, education, their medical stuff... How are you meant to prepare for all those sort of like might bees? Yeah, absolutely. So depending on what the circumstances that you're in at the moment like that, I always recommend clients to do up a bit of a budget. And it's not a case of account for every single euro, but it's kind of write down the things that are the same value every every month, your rent or your mortgage, your phone bills, things like that, and see what's left at the end of the month. If it's nothing... Okay, that's where we're starting from. Mm-hmm. But as your your budget changes, as say you're paying off a car loan, the minute that car loan is finished, whatever you were used to paying per month, put that into a savings account. Mm-hmm. If it's a case of your children's allowance, obviously in some scenarios, a lot of people heavily rely on the children's allowance in order to go towards childcare because it is so costly. But the goal is with the children's allowance is to put that away straight away. You don't miss what you don't have. In a lot of scenarios, we do make do with what we have as well. Yep. So the biggest, I suppose the best advice in relation to that is put the children's allowance away from the get-go, put it into some sort of a savings plan invested a unit linked plan or something like that just so that it tries to keep in line with inflation and um, there's some fantastic calculators online through like Zork and things like that whereby by you put in your child's age and whether they're going to stay at home for college or whether they're they might have any digs or, or any student accommodation and the the stats at the moment if you have a two-year-old now plan on sending him him or her to college in say 15 16 years and they're going to need accommodation it's about 84 grand that you're going to need for what? For for the four years of college. college. 84 grand in total you're going to need. So I suppose when you think about that, do I have to try and sum up 84 grand the year before they need to go to college? Or am I better off putting away a small bit now and let it accumulate in mm-hmm. this kind of investment? I think the calculator shows it's roughly like saving 140 euro per month between now and the next 17 years. And that will give you the right amount to send a child to college if they're staying at home. It's about this- 280 otherwise. Is it irresponsible to in like because putting that into a savings account now that you're going to get zero interest yeah. like there's just no interest rates really yeah. available. What is the best way to get a return on that money that isn't sort of high risk so that it comes to the time and there's actually no money in it? Yeah, no, of course, a very good question. To be fair, what we do with all of our clients is a risk questionnaire. So there's 15 questions. They're kind of phrases or questions around potential outcomes of this policy. Mm -hmm. And you have to answer kind of how strongly you agree with it or how little you agree with it. And after you answer that, it comes back and kind of shows us which level of risk is appropriate to recommend. Yeah, Nolan, I did it. I am risk adverse. I like a low risk thing and he's happier with a high risk thing. Okay, fair. So they went medium. (laughs) It's normally that 
scenario as well I find yeah. a lot of the couples that I speak to the man is, uh, is normally but kind he of, also well, has a permanent job and yeah. my income changes month to month exactly so obviously I'm going to be more of lowest. course yeah understandably so and even like that if you're new to investing it's always smarter to take a slightly more risk averse approach just in order to understand the policy understand where the money's going how the units work I'm guarantee after a year or two of seeing the plan your attitude will change you will adjust to the kind of recommended which is kind of based on your age you could probably afford to take a little bit more risk now because the the markets have the time to regain themselves yeah if there's there's a lot of trends and fluctuations the longer you have the better like even one of the examples if you ever look at the graphs for how the markets went during covid all at the start of 2020 things were going well they were kind of steady if not going up slightly March came plummeted down minus 30% for some of the funds but the people that lost the money at that point were the ones that cashed out then and there accepted their loss went to put their money to cash and that was that had they just waited until July, August, September their funds would have been back where they were and thriving and doing much better as well Mm -hmm. so the goal is if you're starting an investment stick to the plan just invest and forget exactly don't see if you start seeing the markets are, are going down don't freak out sometimes Sometimes it's better to have the plan go and see the direct debit coming out of the bank, but don't actually look at the policy. Wait until your advisor contacts you for your annual review and then have the conversation with them because there's nothing worse than checking it every single day. It's not for the faint-hearted. It yeah. really isn't. But you are better off taking the chance and trying to aim for growth than leaving in the bank. Because with inflation, although the numeric value stays the same, say 100 euro in your bank now looks like 100 euro next year, it's not going to buy you the same value of goods. No, absolutely not. Do you know what I mean? So it, definitely worth a go trying. I'm going to take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. Our sponsor is Rockwell Financial and they have a special offer for basically listeners. Rockwell Financial protect but also enhance the wealth of SME owners. If you own a small or medium enterprise or you are a sole trader in Ireland, Rockwell Wealth Management will protect and enhance your wealth and they have a free consultation for basically listeners. So call them up, tell them you're a basically listener and they will give you a one-to-one consultation for free. We all know neck and back pain can be so debilitating. The good news is the vast majority of spinal problems can be treated successfully by regaining movement, flexibility and strength. Whether you have an existing condition or a recent injury, Matter Private has centres of excellence for spinal care in Dublin, Cork and Limerick to provide you with comprehensive diagnosis, treatment, surgery and rehabilitation. With daily clinics in five locations, it means you can access the expert spine care that you need without having far to travel, no matter where you live. Making the right move is important. And when you have neck or back pain, you want to be treated by Ireland's leading spine experts. You want a team who can look after everything spinal from the straightforward to the most complex conditions. For everything spinal, visit matterprivate.ie to find out more. We're also in a situation now where a lot of people are like post-COVID kind of leaving their employment, looking for other opportunities, maybe, you know, like you're saying, starting up a little SME. I don't mean a little SME, like to be diminutive, like, but uh, yeah. you know, starting up their own business. How do you handle your old employer pension? Yeah, again, a great question. So a lot of the time people, depending on the companies that came from, depending on how heavily involved they were in their pension, sometimes it could be as simple as a client saying, um, yeah, look, come here, I have a pension for my last job. I don't really know what's in it. No one ever contacts me about it. Haven't a clue. I then go and do a bit of research into the policy and there could be a hundred grand there, a hundred thousand euros sitting there. And like this person had no idea. No one was contacting them about it. So there are, definitely things you need to do when you are moving straight away you want to look in and see what your options are are you allowed to move it what are the benefits of moving it or like that what what will you negate by moving it are there any what sacrifices? do you mean by moving it like moving it to another Pen- yeah yeah so either a provider or a different pension plan so completely. say you worked in X company and they set you up with a pension 30 years ago you have or 20 years ago you have 50 grand in it now can you not just take that out and put it in your bank account and just 
own the 50 grand, no? No. So that, again, that's a great point. So when it comes to retirement planning and your pensions, your pensions are locked away until you're retiring. Okay. In some cases, you can access a portion of it a little bit earlier, like if you're retiring on ill health grounds or something like that. But the, the idea behind pensions are they are locked away. Those so are until you're 65. Until 65 is the kind of average. Um, and so if you have worked at five different places yeah. when you're 65, can you get five different pensions? Exactly. So the goal is you get 25% of your pension pots completely tax-free in retirement. Okay. Okay. Now, again, I say that assuming this client only has the kind of pensions that I've been looking after, say, within the private sector. And anything above and beyond that, you have to formulate another financial plan in order to give yourself an income, pay yourself an income from the balance of the the pensions. But like that, if you have five or six pensions that you haven't really been monitoring, it's very hard then at the very end of retirement to suddenly chase down all these old employers. Where is my money now? What company is that with? Because behind the scenes of company pensions, whoever the trustee is or whoever the life company is, they might have changed. Okay. You know, a couple of different companies might sell out and or uh, absorb other companies. And then the last thing you remember was, oh, it was with you know, pension provider X, but they've actually closed down and it's now with Y. Okay, but they still will honour it, will they? Oh yeah, absolutely. The money is is still yours within your name, but it's your responsibility to keep track of it. Okay. Particularly with uh, employee pensions like that, there's normally no financial advisor provided to you. So you'll just get a generic, one an annual letter, just basically saying how much is in it, the projected value, assuming no growth or assuming 3% growth per annum or something like that. Very, very general information. Mm-hmm. And that's about it. But like that, if you have your own financial advisor there, they actually do the digging. They'll kind of tell you, look, that's a, that's a solid plan. Don't touch it. That's going to really benefit you when you're 60. Or or, oh my God, you're paying massive fees on that. The growth in this fund is unexplainable. We need to move this out. Do you know, so okay. it really depends. You really have to kind of trust the professionals to look into it and give you your own individual advice. advice. Yeah. Do you have different financial planning tips for women in business than for men in business? And if so, what are they? I would say it's... The advice would be specific on an individual basis, not not necessarily gender-based, yeah. Yeah. But I suppose for women, especially in small businesses or like that limited company owners, I would always say don't be afraid to ask for advice because like that, sometimes when it comes to starting up your own company, you feel kind of at a loss. You're you're suddenly trying to juggle everything. You're trying Mm -hmm. to juggle this new company. You're trying to juggle your accounts as well with your accountant. You're trying to juggle your family life. You're trying to juggle your social life, your fitness, your health, meal prep, whatever it is. You have to kind of admit at some point to say, okay, I'm at full capacity here. I can't take on any more stress. So my biggest advice is get a financial advisor. Do your research. Have a look on Google. Ask your your friends. Ask your parents. Ask other colleagues or people within your industry. Reach out to them on LinkedIn. Ask them who they went to to organise their financial plan. Do you know, I feel like a personal referral is a great reliable source you know you wouldn't refer someone on unless you genuinely trusted them and I would always take the word of one of my good friends or a family member than I would off a you know Instagram or something like that exactly and exactly with Google reviews some people have very bad days and just leave horrendous reviews you know so I wouldn't rely on that solely but the the advice still stands as as get an advisor trust that they're going to look after you and they have your your interests at heart Mm -hmm. and start to plan with them and like that engage with them don't just wait for the annual review every year or or like when you're when your situation changes, keep the advisor informed. You're paying a fee for the the products that you have. Utilize that. Do you know, I have a savings plan with Hannah. She's also looking after my pension. Do you know what? I'm thinking of looking into my life insurance. I'm going to pop Hannah a message and see should we should we do anything else and have it all under that one umbrella so you know you have a one stop shop and that trusty advi- that trusting advisor is going to look after you. And how does it work then with paying 
the advisor? Is it that like, so say I come to you and I'm looking for financial advice and you say, okay, we're going to do an investment here with Mm. Zurich, let's say. And this is the, and I'm like, look, you know what? I actually don't want any information. I just want you to, I trust you and there's too much information. So you're like, okay, I've, I've given this this is the policy that we're going with and it's for five years and basically don't touch the money for five mm-hmm. years and we'll get you some growth. Does Zurich pay you? Do I pay you? Do you get a percentage of how much I make or how much I invest in the first instance? How does that all work? So it's kind of a, a bit of everything there. We don't have a, an actual fee. There's no consultation fee. There's no startup fee or anything like that. There's no advice fees nothing like that the only time you're actually paying for something is if there's a product involved like that you could give me a ring and I could give you some verbal advice but I'm not telling you what products to use I'm not telling mm-hmm. you about any charges with companies anything like that I might just say look, by the signs of it you need to really sort out your pension I can send you on some advice and then we can talk about the fees in relation to that but if I'm just giving you advice it's just advice it's just yeah. an email it's just over the phone or over Zoom or whatever the case is if you decide okay, in order for me to achieve my financial goals, I'm going to have to get my pension. I'm going to have to do a medium-term savings plan. I'm going to need a bit of life cover as well. All three of those are going to have fees in relation to them because they're a product. No kind of financial product on the market is free, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing in life is free, I feel yes. like, in this day and age. Um, but the way that the advisor gets paid is through the bro- the company that you go with. So okay. if we went with Zork, Zork are going to pay us a percentage of whatever the fees that they're charging you. So every year, depending on how the, okay. the, you know, the fund is doing, a percentage of that goes to Zork and then we get paid on the back of that as well. Okay, yeah, that's really clear. So sorry, those top three financial planning tips for women, they were, sorry, did I miss the first one? The first one was get an advisor. Exactly. Get yeah. it, get an advisor and trust, let them do their job and and sort your finances out while you focus on, on setting yourself up and, you know, yeah. doing the best that you can within your, your career. The second one would be um, put yourself first. I suppose it kind of links into that one, but one of the good kind of metaphors that I've heard before was the oxygen mask um, Put situation. your own mask first. Exactly. Yeah. When you're on the plane, you put your own mask on and then you, you tend to others. You can't look after anyone else if, you can't look after, if you're not looking after yourself, mm-hmm. do you know, and that's in terms of the protection aspect. Make sure there's a good level of life cover there or income protection so that you're not going to be left stuck in a worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. It could be in, in, in the sense of a pension. You're married, your partner has the bigger pension. It's considered both your pension, but you know, at the same time, have something in your name as well, just in case something was to happen. It's good to have that separate um, plan as well. And regardless, it's still it's still a pension. It's still going to have some sort of tax relief there. It's going to give you some sort of income in retirement too. And in retirement, you're both individually assessed as opposed to now you might be jointly assessed if you're married. Okay. When it comes to retirement, you're both individually assessed regardless. So it's no harm in having some pensions in your own name either. There's not going to be any negative effects in terms of the 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 tax bans or anything like that and then the third one would probably be just to network so like that go on to LinkedIn you know go on to the Facebook look at all the um, women in business enterprises and things like that don't be afraid to reach out let them know who you are join the join the um the Chamber of Commerce. Thank you, Chamber yeah. of Commerce. Exactly. Reach out and join all of those. Get to know the people within, with I suppose, a similar area of interest or like that because you might end up meeting someone that's going to end up benefiting yourself, you know, like that, getting affiliation so that you have constant business coming in and things like that. So it's just making sure that you're utilising every resource around you. And so my final question is, I think when I was in my 20s, I was just so, like the crash had happened I was coming out of the Celtic Tiger. It was just after leaving my teenage years. I was just kind of focused on like keeping one week uh, on the road at a time. 
I had no plan and, and pensions just seemed like something that was like so far away. What advice would you give to someone in their 20s now from a financial perspective, even though they do feel like their retirement is something that is an eternity away? Yeah. Expect the unexpected. L- exactly what you said there. I tend to, you know, the phrase, make hay while the sun shines. If you're living at home at the moment, you might be throwing your, your mum a few pounds, you know, towards the housekeeping, whatever it is, if you find that at the end of the month that there's still overage there in your salary and you're not particularly using it, there's no direct plans for next year, do something about that money. Either spend it because, like I said, leave it in the bank, you're not really getting anything on it. Put it into some sort of savings plan that you know, okay, in five years, I'm going to use that for X, Y, and Z. I'm going to get myself a new car at that point or I'm going to try apply for a mortgage now in, in five years. So I'm going to try and make my money work as hard as I can, you know, in that time frame. So basically just start planning. I know it seems like a million miles away, but it's really not. And I feel like that generation, the kind of 20s and 30s, it's the generation that aren't going by those old standards, the kind of what does success look like? Oh, it's it's finding a husband, it's getting married, it's having kids, it's it's that, it's playing golf and then it's dying. Do you know, it's no longer that kind of a... a that's not the pattern anymore. Yeah, like, yeah. and thank, thank goodness, because my God, especially with the, the pandemic, a lot of employment now, you can actually work from home. Where is home? Home might be the tropic islands, you know, home mm-hmm. might be in France. Like it doesn't, the world's your oyster at, at this time. So basically, whatever money's coming in, use it to your advantage. Start the pensions now, particularly if you are someone that might decide to have kids in the future. I know it might be a million miles away. But similar to what we mentioned earlier with the pension, if you decide to take time off on maternity leave, if you decide to reduce your working uh, your working hours, you might not have the capacity to save for your pension at that point when it is more of a priority. Mm-hmm. Save it now. And then that way, when you're in your 30s or 40s, whatever the case is, having kids, you have that to fall back on. You know, well, look, I actually I did put, that, that time. Yeah, I yeah. was putting in what I could at the time. I was getting some tax relief as well. Let's not forget that pensions give a generous level of tax relief. I, was, I wasn't just giving the tax man his, his daily dues. I was offsetting some of my salary into a pension. I did it for, you know, five, six years. I actually have a couple of grand there. So if I want to take a year off work after I have my baby, I can do so. And I'll just pick up the pension when I can afford mm-hmm. to again. It's a fantastic security for you to actually take that time because you can't get it back if you do decide to you know look after the kids so I think although it might seem like a million miles away it really isn't and even look at your own parents or look at like grandparents or aunts and uncles and kind of see what they did and whether you want lifestyles like them or whether you want drastically different Different. do you know I find like even my own parents pensions were not a was not a topic of conversation. I'm in the middle of transferring one of my dad's old pensions. That again, he kind of forgot about. He might have cashed in a pension at the wrong, like, you know, with, at, he was only 26, 27, and they're offering him, do you want to leave your pension in here till you're 60 or do you want to take it now? And he's like, yeah, I'll take it now. Yeah. But had he left it there, he'd probably be retired now. Yes. Do you okay, know? Yeah. So always kind of think, do I want to be, in my scenario, I say, do I want to be Granny A, who's still working till 60, not really sure when she'll be able to retire, you know, still worried about a mortgage? Or do I want to be Granny B? The mortgage is cleared. I have a hefty little pension pot sitting there waiting for me to retire. And when I do retire, I'm going to use my tax free lump sum to go on a nice cruise or something mm-hmm. like that. You know, opposite ends of the spectrum, obviously. But I know the only people that actually get that early retirement are the ones that are, yeah, are not, the, are the ones that aren't sweating when they see their electricity bill coming in, are the ones that we're planning mm-hmm. do you know the ones that are genuinely planning and it doesn't I suppose where do you start with that doing up that little budget as I said you don't need to worry about accounting for every single euro but just putting down the kind of stables every single month what, are you, what is going out what are you getting in net into your, your bank every month okay what's the, what's the excess what will we do with that and where is that going to go and if people are listening now and they're in their 20s and they're like, OK, look, maybe I will have a plan. Can they contact you? Where can they find you? And 
I know that everybody who listens to the podcast gets free consultation. They do indeed, yeah. So depending on what they're looking for, if it is a case of they want to review their circumstances and maybe put a plan in place, a plan that you start now is still going to be the plan when you're 60, 65. Obviously, it'll just alter depending on how your what your goals are, you know, throughout your life. But I would say you can contact myself personally on LinkedIn. It's Hannah Drennan. Or you can go straight on to our Rockwell website there. There's some links to our calendar as well. So you can actually book directly in and speak to um, a financial advisor a mortgage advisor, whatever it is that you're, you're looking to speak to. But what I would say is have that little budget in mind so that you kind of know what? where your starting point From, is. Exactly. Yeah. Even if it isn't now, even if you reckon, you know what, my car loan will be cleared off now by September. So in September, I want to go, go, go. But I'd like the advice now just so I know, you know, how to get the ball rolling, get the conversation started so that it's not us pushing it off the long finger, I should say, or putting it on the long finger. I feel like that's a massive thing we do. And I've had clients come up to me as well. Like I've recommended they do something. I'd say, look, you're you're 30 I want you to get the serious illness policy. Serious illness is like a, a lump sum page. You've got diagnosed with something, heaven forbid, right? In Ireland, particularly, women are vastly underinsured. There's about less than 40% of women in Ireland actually have some level of cover in place, mm-hmm. you know, life cover, income protection, a serious illness. And yet they are the highest of the claims. So women in their 30s are 30% more likely to actually claim off an, uh, of a serious illness policy mm-hmm. and 60% more likely in their 40s than men. Yet they're... They're undercovered. Completely undercovered. Do you know? And again, it's something that you think, oh, sure, no, I'll be fine. Do you know, I get hit by a bus tomorrow and all those people kind of live in the moment kind of say that. But wouldn't you prefer to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it? Yeah. Do you know? And when it comes to these policies, the younger you are and the healthier you are, the more likely you're going to get the policy and you're going to lock in a premium at that age and at that health. If you wait until you're a couple of years and God forbid something happens to your health, you might not get the insurance. Yeah. For one thing, you might get declined. It might be heavily more expensive due to whatever your health is or the fact that you're older. Your occupation might have changed and it might be a slightly riskier job, things like that. So I normally say get the policy when you're fit and healthy and you'll Locked thank me for it. Yeah, it's going to it's gonna insure you for those expensive years of your life between now and say 65. Mm-hmm. It's going to look after you if you need it. You can fall back on it, yeah. you know. Absolutely. I'm definitely something that I need to look into myself. Um, (laughs) That is Hannah Drennan from Rockwell Financial. You can find her on Rockwell Financial on Instagram or Hannah Drennan on LinkedIn. And thank you for listening to another episode of Basically. Our music is by Only Ruin. Our graphic design is by Kahalo Gara. We are produced by Megan Fox and we're part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. See you next week. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.